We're starting this brand new series today called Living on a Prayer. For the next six or seven weeks, we are going to go on a journey of living on prayers together. Now, my wife will tell you that I regularly drive on empty. I like to ride on fumes. And the reason I do this is because I've gotten away with it so often. A few years ago, I was on a road trip with my family, and we were driving through Idaho and going up to the Teton Mountains there. And my wife looked at the gas gauge and said, Son, Honey, you better stop and fuel up. I said, Honey, I got this. I'm a professional driver. We have plenty of gas. Well, little did I know, I was coming up on a 50-mile, 9,000-foot elevation climb into the mountains. And when we got to the top of the mountain, the gas gauge said empty. And the car started sputtering. And Angel didn't say a word. She just gave me that look. You know, she's got that look. But here's the deal. We then had a 30-mile decline down the mountain. And I coasted all the way down, right into an Exxon mobile station where I filled up with gas. And I turned to Angel and said, Honey, see what happens when you know Jesus. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't so lucky the next time around because I ran out of gas and I was stuck on the side of the road, totally embarrassed. Friends, to live a prayerless life is to live on fumes. You'll do it because you can get away with it. That is until you wind up on the side of the road. For some, prayer is like your triple A card. It's there if you need it, but you don't plan on using it very often. That is until you find yourself in an emergency. For others, prayer is like the national anthem at a football game. It gets the game started, but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with what happens on the field. Oh, we'll start our day with prayer, or we'll pray before a meal, but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with our life. It doesn't impact our life too much. Now, many of us, we struggle with prayer. I mean, you're talking to someone you can't see, who doesn't answer back in an audible voice, and oftentimes it feels like you're speaking into the thin air. But if you struggle with prayer, don't beat yourself up about it. Because Jesus' disciples also struggle with prayer. In fact, one day, the disciples saw Jesus praying. They saw the power in his prayer. They saw what prayer did for Jesus. And they said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? They didn't know how to pray. They said, how do we as physical human beings communicate with the invisible God? And why do we need to pray Anyway, why do we need to do it at all? Now, the concept of prayer comes from sheepdogs. There's a picture on your screen of a sheepdog. The sheepdog would sit at the shepherd's feet waiting for instruction from the shepherd about the next move he was supposed to make in regard to corralling the sheep. And the idea of prayer is that you have the attitude, the attitude of a sheepdog sitting at the feet of the good shepherd waiting for instruction and guidance and strength. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the next six weeks in this series called Living on a Prayer. And today, to set this whole series up, I want to talk to you about the preparations for prayer, what you need to know about how to pray. And I want to address three important questions today. First of all, what is prayer in the first place? Secondly, why pray? And then third, what are the hindrances to prayer? Or what are the prayer busters, if you will? Now, a moment ago, your campus pastor read to you from Matthew 6, where Jesus is teaching on prayer. I want you to notice how Jesus begins the teaching. Verse 5, he says, and when you pray, and when you pray, not if you pray, 
But when you pray, it was the expectation of Jesus that his followers, not Christians, because everyone thinks they're a Christian in America today, his followers would pray regularly. So the question is, what is prayer? Don't miss this. Prayer is a believer's communication with God through the person of Jesus Christ, assisted by the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. Communication, it's communication with God through the person of Christ, assisted by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let me break that down for you. First, prayer is communication with God. You see, the real test of whether or not you are actually praying when you are praying is if God is the audience of your conversation. You're communicating with God and not people. Now, some people think that they're praying when they're really just talking to themselves or they're talking to be heard by others. But prayer is when God is your audience, he is on your mind, he is the focus of your attention, and your goal is to get through to him. That's prayer. A young man was praying one day, and his English was horrible. It was terrible. He was doing a horrible job communicating to God, mixing up adjectives and verbs and prepositional phrases. Well, sitting nearby was a lady who was eavesdropping on this young man's prayer. And when he finished praying, she said, Yo, man, that was the worst grammar. That was the worst articulation I've ever heard in my life. I am so disgusted that you would talk like that. And the young man replied to her, But lady, I wasn't talking to you. You see, prayer is not talking to others. Prayer is communicating with God. Secondly, prayer happens through Jesus Christ. Now hold on. The only reason that you can get through to God is because a door was opened by the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the way. In other words, I am the access point to God. No Jesus, no God. If you don't have Jesus, you can't get to God. You cannot come into the presence of a perfect, holy God as a sinful man or sinful woman. Access must be provided by someone who is perfect and holy. And there's only one person that's ever met that criteria, and that's the spotless, blameless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Story is told of a man who was sitting on a park bench one day, and he was bawling. The little boy sees him bawling and says, Sir, what's wrong? And the man told him how his brother was going to be put to death, the death penalty. And the only person who could pardon him was the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. But there was no way for him to get an audience with the president. And the boy said, sir, would you please come with me? And he took the man by the hand and walked him straight into the president's office, through the guards, past the secretary, with nobody even mumbling a word. The man couldn't believe it. He said, I tried everything to get to the president. And here's this little boy who walks me past the guards, past the secretary, right into the president's office. As a man walks into the president's office with the boy at his side, the president stood to his feet and he said, How can I help you, son? You see, the only reason the man could get access to the president is because he had run into the son. And the son could walk in past all the opposition right into the presence of the president. Friends, the only way you can enter into the presence of God is to be escorted by the son, Jesus. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Or, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. That's not just a nice little religious tag we attach to our prayers. That is actually your access point. No Jesus, 
know God. Now here's what's cool. Hebrews 10 tells us that we have access by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is, his death has satisfied the demands of a holy God. So that you and I can, and I love this, Hebrews 4, 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. That is, we can walk past the guards and the angels and say, here I am, God. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. In fact, my righteousness is in filthy rags. But before you get upset at me, God, I don't come here riding on my own righteousness. Look who led me in here. It's your son, Jesus Christ. He is my access point. I'm riding on his righteousness and not my own. Man, what a Lord we serve. What a God we serve. Third, this is where things get really cool. Prayer is assisted by the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is assisted by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, listen to these words. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our, what? Weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through, what? Wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's a power-packed passage. That passage tells us that we don't really know how we ought to pray sometimes. Sometimes we run out of things to say. Sometimes we're hurting so bad on the inside that we can't say anything. And all we can do is sort of sit there and stare into space and the Bible says we groan. Oh, you know. Well, the question is, how can we pray and really know that we are praying? Enter the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's job to take the mess that I call prayer sometimes and to turn it into a comprehensible outline. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take my weakness in prayer because Romans 8 just told us that we don't know how to pray sometimes. And all we can do is, oh, just groan, you know. So the Holy Spirit takes that first, oh. And he says, Father, here's what that first groan means. Then he takes that second groan, oh, and he breaks it open and creates an outline for it. And he takes the third groan, oh, and dissects it and outlines it so that by the time it gets to heaven, we got a 12-page prayer out of three little words. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to take what I cannot clarify sometimes and clarify it and make it meaningful and powerful. See, that's why you're never wasting your time when you pray. Even if you don't know what to say or how to pray, because it's the Holy Spirit's job to make it clear to the Father, to make to bring clarity out of my mess called prayer. So, question number one, what is prayer? Prayer is a believer's communication with God through the person of Jesus Christ, assisted by the work of the Holy Spirit. You got it? If you got it, say amen. All right, you got it. Question number two, why pray? Why do we pray? Well, Hebrews eleven six puts it this way. Without faith, you can't please God. It's impossible. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why should we pray? I'll tell you why. Because prayer is an expression of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So even if you are weak in faith, you should pray. Because prayer is an act of faith that supports or strengthens your faith. Think about this. You're coming to God, to a God that you can't see, who doesn't audibly speak back to you. But because the Bible says he is, 
and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You say to yourself, I'm going to come to you anyway, even though I can't hear you or see you. That is an act of faith. Prayer is an act of faith. Putting it another way, when you pray, you are adopting the attitude of coming as a sheepdog before a good shepherd. You're saying, I'm going to come and sit at your feet because I desperately need heaven's wisdom and heaven's direction and power right now. You are adopting a God focus. You are coming to God and creating a line of communication with the Almighty. By the way, Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, question, who are the yous he's talking to? Well, he's talking to his disciples. In other words, everybody who prays isn't praying. For God has no obligation to the sinner or to the sinner's prayers unless the sinner is praying the sinner's prayer or the prayer of salvation. See, God's obligation is to his children. And he's not equally obligated to all of them because his ultimate obligation is to his disciples. And there's a big difference. If you have two sons, and one of them is a prodigal and leaves the father's presence, and the other is faithful at home in his father's presence, both of them can call you dad, but they don't have equal access, do they? Because one left and one stayed in the presence. Friends, if you are not one of the yous, or the disciples. In other words, if your passion in life is not to follow Jesus Christ, then don't expect to get a whole lot out of your prayer life. That is, if you pray at all. The greater the discipleship, the greater the prayer life. The lesser the discipleship, the lesser the prayer life. And then last question. What are the hindrances to prayer? What are these prayer busters that Jesus is talking about? Well, The first prayer buster is what I'll call disingenuous prayers. Disingenuous prayers. Jesus says in verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, well, you're going to have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jump down to verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they will have They have received their reward in full, right there. Their reward is being seen by others. In other words, if you pray for the applause of men, you lose the applause of heaven. If you pray to be heard by people and not to communicate with God, mission accomplished because you are not communicating with God. The disciples needed the right model for prayer. We're going to talk about that next week when we look at the Lord's Prayer and the person of prayer next week. But the disciples needed a right model for prayer. And Jesus says, look, the right model for prayer is not the model of the Pharisees. Because they're actors. They're just hypocrites. Now the word hypocrite is a picturesque word in the New Testament. It was used in theater. You know, an actor would put a a face on a stick. And then they put that face in front of their face. And speak from behind that face or behind a mask. And they were called play actors. Or Hypocrites. We think of that as a bad word. They didn't. So whenever there was an actor on stage or a hypocrite, they were entertaining the crowd by pretending to be something they were not. In fact, the whole goal of the actor or the hypocrite was to hide their real self behind a mask so the crowd wouldn't see who they really were, but who they wanted to be. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees because they're just hypocrites. They're wearing a mask. 
They want to appear to be holier than they really are. <laughs> he said the way you know they're hypocrites is they look forward to public opportunities to pray. They go to the street corner at the most crowded moment of the day and make a big scene, a big fuss praying because they want everyone to see that they're spiritual big shots. Jesus says, look, when you pray, you're not on stage. You're not putting on a show for people. You're not trying to impress people by using eloquent words. Oh, that may impress people, but those words have no power in heaven. In fact, Jesus said, if you do it for the crowd, you lose what heaven was going to do for you. Don't do it for the crowd. Do it for your father. A little boy was praying one day. It was his birthday. And they're all gathered around the dinner table, birthday time. And, and uh, little boy says, oh, God. I thank you for my mommy and my daddy and my brothers. And then he screamed out, And oh Lord, please give me a new bicycle for my birthday. And the boy's mom says, Son, you don't have to scream. God's not deaf. And the boy said, Yeah, but grandma is hard of hearing. And she got the money for the bike. And that little sinner was playing to the crowd. Jesus says, When you pray, don't play the crowd. Pray sincerely and genuinely. And not as the hypocrites do for public recognition and accolades. Second prayer buster is what I call distracted prayers. Jesus says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in what? Secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying never pray in public. There are many public prayer meetings in the Bible. And Jesus himself prayed a lot of times in public. So he's not saying it's wrong to pray publicly. He's saying it's wrong to pray publicly if you're not praying privately. He's saying it's wrong to give the impression in church or in the public, I want to be in his presence when you're never actually in his presence. He's saying that what you do in secret is who you really are, not what you do when the crowd is watching you. Notice he says, I want you to go into your room and close the door and pray to your father. Notice he says, close the door. What's he saying? He's saying, shut out anything in this world that keeps you from concentrating on God. Why is that? Because friends, it doesn't take too much to keep you from hearing God's voice. Why is that? Because God is spirit. So if you and God are going to connect, you must connect spiritually. You're not going to hear an audible voice. You're not going to see Casper the friendly ghost flying around the room. If you're going to connect with God, it will happen when your human spirit links with the Holy Spirit to bring you into the very presence of God. And when God sees that you are so desperate to connect with him that you're willing to go into your room and close the door and remove all the distractions and, all, and, and really concentrate on him, it will be clear to him in that moment that you're not playing to the crowd, that you really want to be with him in his presence. Putting it another way, church prayer can't be your only prayer. In fact, the verse actually says that when you go into your room and close the door, then, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's where his focus is. It's not on the crowd. His focus is when you're all alone in the closed, behind the closed door. Well, look, that just sounds so boring. I mean, to be in, to be by myself in a room with no noise, just me and supposedly God. And that's how you feel, right? Come on, tell the truth. Shame the devil. That's how you feel. 
and it will seem boring until the spirits connect. And once the spirits connect in the solitude of his presence, you will understand what David wrote about in the Psalms when he talked about laying on his bed in the presence of God and having God be all around him and fill his life. Why? Because he removed all the distractions and God met him in that secret place. And you may say, okay, Luke, I'm, I'm in this room, dead silence, trying to communicate with God. But what do I do there? That brings up the final prayer buster, third prayer buster. I call them disengaged prayers, disengaged prayers. Verse seven, Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And the word babble here means meaningless repetition, thoughtless speech, just babbling the same words you always say when you pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Uh, that's okay if you're a two-year-old. But you've been saved for 10 years and you're still praying that prayer. You know what that's called? That's called meaningless babble and it means nothing to God. Or how about this one? Lord, bless this food in Jesus' name. Amen. Gang, if you can say it without thinking about it, then it's called meaningless babble. Meaningless repetition. Now, repetition isn't bad, but meaningless repetition is when you can say it with your mouth without, without engaging your mind. In other words, God is not on your mind, so you're not really communicating with him. You're just talking to yourself. Or you're saying words out of religious obligation while using his name because you know you're supposed to pray before you sleep at night. You know you're supposed to pray before you have meals. In fact, you'll get offended if someone starts eating in your presence without praying. Put that food down. You haven't said grace yet. Now, as a little boy, uh, my mom, she was an amazing cooker of biscuits and gravy. Now, she was Swedish. She came here from Sweden. And when she came here, all she knew how to make was Swedish meatballs. But she became a master at making biscuits and gravy with Jimmy Dean hot sausage. Oh, I would love those mornings. I'd get up and I'd smell that Jimmy Dean sausage, you know, cooking. And I'd run to the breakfast table and dad would gather us all around the breakfast table. And he would say, now let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this good food. And everybody would close their eyes. But I would pray with one eye open, you know. And my sin goes way, way back. I want you to know. Then I would stick my hands in, in a sanctimonious way on the other side of the plate. So when dad said amen, I'd get a head start on the biscuits. Now, I, I didn't have God on my mind. I had mom's biscuits and Jimmy Dean's sausage and Aunt Jemima's syrup on my mind. I just had to get rid of God to get to the good stuff, to get to the biscuits. Sometimes prayer for us is getting rid of God so we can get to our own agenda. Let's hurry up and pray so we can have this meeting so we can get to the important stuff in life. You know, the practical stuff. You know what that's called? It's called meaningless babble. And it means nothing to God. Entire religious systems are built on this stuff. Glory, 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 glory. Say it five times. Glory, 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 glory. Say it real fast ten times. Glory, 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 glory. You know, meaningless repetition. What did you just say? I don't know, but it sure sounded holy, so it must be real, you know? You never worship God with your mind shut down. Now, you don't worship him without your emotions either, but you certainly don't feel to a point where you can't think because that's called meaningless repetition. 
Well, Luke, how can I stop having meaningless repetition? Easy. The more you know about somebody, the more you had to talk about. Sometimes when I go speak at a church somewhere, I'll Google the church, what they're doing. I'll Google the pastor, what's he, what's he interested in? What, what projects is he doing? So I'll have something knowledgeable to talk about in his presence when I get there. And friends, the way you turn meaningless babble into meaningful conversation in prayer is to increase your knowledge of God and then bring that information to bear in your discussion with him. So if you've learned some things about God today in this message, why don't you include that in your prayer life tomorrow? Because the more you learn about our great God, the more meaningful your conversations with him are going to be. Whenever you disengage your mind in prayer, God knows that you're not really there. And God is not impressed with a bunch of words. He's impressed with somebody who wants to be there with him. He's impressed with somebody who comes close to the door and desires to be with him. Well, Jesus closes this thought in verse 8. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. That's a very important closing point. You never pray to inform God because he already knows. Like any good daddy, he knows you're coming to him to get something from him. I know when my daughters want something from me. My daughter Aubrey will come to me and she'll say, Daddy, you look so good today. You've been working out? Boy, look at those veins bulging out of your arms and look at the muscles. You've been losing some weight. You look so ripped. And your hair. Are you, are you using that spray-on hair stuff? Are, are you taking hair growth hormone? You look so good. And before she leaves, I'm willing to give her the new car, you know, the new dress, whatever she wants. She butters me up. You know, God knows that you need stuff. So let's, let's close with this final passage, Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. Notice, asking requires humility because it means you have to request something that you need. Seeking demands action because you have to look for something, expect something. Knocking requires repetition because nobody goes to a door and does this. Now you go to a door, you're like, you do it over and over again. So asking is, I'm getting humble before you, God. Seeking is, I'm looking for it. I'm expecting it, God. And knocking is, I'm going to keep pounding on this door until I get an answer one way or the other. And a good father will service the request of his children if he deems it beneficial to his child. So look at verse 8. Jesus goes on. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? Oh man, this is so good. What a teacher Jesus is. He mentions bread and fish. He says, if you ask for bread, God's not going to give you a stone. And if you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a snake. Because that's not good for you. That's not beneficial to you. Do you know what bread and fish were? Don't miss this. Bread and fish were the ordinary diet of a Jewish person. It's kind of what you ate every day. You went to the Sea of Galilee, you caught a fish or you bought a fish, and you ate some bread with it. That was a common meal for a Jewish person. 
Remember the, the, the feeding of the 5,000? The little boy had five loaves and two fish in his lunch pail. That's the way people ate in those days. Interpretation. God is concerned about the ordinary stuff of your life. The fish and bread. He doesn't just want to hear from us when the son or daughter is breaking our hearts or when we lose the great job, or when the doctor says, I got bad news for you. He doesn't mind hearing from us about those things, but he also wants to hear from us about the simple things, the fish and bread, the ordinary things of life, and not just the big gargantuous things. He wants to know that he's part of your everyday life. He doesn't want to be your 911, or your SOS, or your genie in a bottle, although dads are there for those things too. He wants to know, my kids love me. And they want to be with me even in the ordinary things of everyday life. Like fish and bread. If you only relate to God in the big stuff, then you only relate to him occasionally. But if you relate to him in the ordinary stuff, the fish and bread, you can relate to him every day, all day long. And then you'll know what 1 Thessalonians 5 means when it talks about praying without ceasing. Well, Luke, how can I talk to God all day long? Because you're doing ordinary stuff all day long. And God wants to know, how you feeling today? Well, God, I'm a little tired right now. Would you strengthen me? God wants to know when something good happens to you. God, I want to thank you for this great parking spot you gave me. Thank you, Lord. God, I want to thank you for this great promotion I got at work. God, I want to thank you for this masterful sermon that my pastor Luke is preaching today. That's going to feed me all day long. Shameless plug. God wants to know that he's always on your mind. He wants to be your ordinary God and not just your spectacular God. So friends, what do you say? Let's praise him when he opens up the Red Sea. Let's praise him when he provides manna from heaven. Let's praise him when he brings water out of a rock. Let's praise him when we, when we hear the doctor say your sickness is cured. Praise him for the spectacular things, but also praise him because nothing went wrong today. Praise him because you get your ordinary food. Because you can drive by McDonald's today. Or better yet, Whataburger. You know, that's where Jesus would eat. Or you know, maybe better yet, church's chicken. And you can buy some good food to eat. Bring God into the, into the bread and fish and praise him for the ordinary. And guess what? If you do, he will be there for the spectacular. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we choose today as a church to go after you in prayer. We choose for the next six or seven weeks, Father, to invest ourselves and to immerse ourselves in learning how to pray like Jesus. For anyone here today who who is far from you, Father, we pray that because of the influence and the power of your Holy Spirit right now, that you would draw them to yourself right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for watching this message today. I believe that right now as you're watching this video, God is speaking to your heart. God is speaking to you about a new life, a new future, a new hope. The Bible says that the way we connect with God is we actually call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's almost like taking your cell phone out and making a call to somebody that you really love. You're making the call. And I want to encourage you to make the call to God today. And as you do, he promises to forgive your sins, to adopt you into his family, 
and to give you a hope and a future. So today, if you are ready to call upon the name of the Lord, would you just close your eyes right now and just sincerely say these words to God. Dear Heavenly Father, just say those words. I ask you today to be the leader of my life. I ask you to forgive me for my sins and adopt me into your family. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. So I give you my heart today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, he heard you and he forgave you. So I want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Go find a great church to be involved in. If you don't have one, come join us here at Dream City and we'll help you live out the Christian faith and grow closer to Jesus. God bless you all.